If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of June 4, 2023. The podcast that died in a bizarre gardening accident. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's somnambulate the news of the bogus. Here's a weird one for you. Could the best progress for gun rights be pushed forward by none other than Hunter Biden? So we covered all the crap on his laptop. Well, not all the crap. There's a lot we don't care about. He can sleep with all the hookers he wants, and as far as we're concerned, drug abuse is a victimless crime. Addicts need treatment, not jail. And, of course, we don't care how many guns we have, although we do care that he wasn't exercising good trigger discipline. And we hope that the phone he took the pictures with was on a stand and not held by someone when he pointed it directly at it. So even as the big guy tries to make even greater restrictions on guns, Junior is reportedly challenging a federal law banning illegal drug users from owning guns. Oh, yeah, that was another thing. He'd lied on a form when he purchased a firearm saying he hadn't taken drugs at a time when he's admitted to using crack cocaine, an act of perjury for which he's being investigated by the Justice Department. But since the Bruin decision, a lot of those laws have properly come into question. According to Politico, quote, His lawyers have already told Justice Department officials that, if their client is charged with a gun crime, they will challenge the law under the Second Amendment, according to a person familiar with the private discussions, granted anonymity because they are not authorized to speak publicly. That could turn a case that is already fraught with political consequences into a high-profile showdown over the right to bear arms. I mean, we can hope, right? The law is part of the Gun Control Act of 1968, passed at a time when drug prohibition was starting to heat up. It prohibits the sale or transfer of any firearm or ammunition to anyone who, quote, is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance. The ATF says this applies to anyone who used illegal drugs in the 12 months prior to the purchase. The penalty is up to 15 years in prison. Politico is actually worried that the Supreme Court can undo this provision as well, although, let's be honest, conservative justices have never been all that opposed to drug prohibition. So, which will win out? Their support for the Second Amendment, or their support for the war on drugs? Most courts since Bruin have upheld this provision, but some haven't, and that's a situation where the Supreme Court is more apt to step in. For example... Federal District Judge Jill Parrish ruled that the clause was void for vagueness, based actually on the Fifth Amendment, not the Second. And Oklahoma District Judge Patrick Wyrick ruled that it couldn't be used to prosecute someone caught possessing both a gun and marijuana in his car. But other judges have specifically denied Second Amendment challenges to the clause. So even if it isn't Hunter, somebody is likely to do it, according to Jeff Welty, a professor at the University of North Carolina, who said, quote, Given how unsettled the law is in this area, I think anyone charged with a violation of that statute would give serious consideration to raising the Second Amendment as a defense. 
Aiden Johnson, Director of Federal Affairs for Gun Owners of America, said, quote, Whatever merit one might imagine on a ban of users of controlled substances buying guns, if we don't trust people to buy weapons, why are we trusting them in society? Good point, Johnston. Very good point. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Another unlikely ally seems to be the RIAA, the Music Pirates. Not that they're really doing them any favors, but they are at least saying in court that Music Pirates are not terrorists. Good to know there's some limit to their wild accusations and fear-mongering. So years ago, we covered the $1 billion liability verdict handed down to Cox Communications for not doing enough to stop their users from pirating stuff online. They've been appealing it ever since. Justice is slow if it comes at all. As supplemental evidence, they cited the case Twitter vs. Tomney, where the Supreme Court found that Twitter isn't liable for ISIS terrorists using the social media site to recruit and raise funds. Cox is arguing that the same thing applies in their case, since they're no more responsible for piracy as Twitter is for terrorism. Quote, Applying long-standing aiding and abetting principles, the court rejected liability on the pleadings. These same aiding and abetting principles animate copyright law's contributory liability doctrine, and they likewise foreclose liability here. And the Twitter case even addressed Internet service, quote, We generally do not think that Internet or cell service providers incur culpability merely for providing their services to the public writ large. Twitter applied that limitation to social media platforms, even though the court had to assume the truth of the allegation that the defendants knew wrongdoers used their platforms, but failed to detect and remove the content. This reasoning undermines the rule the district court applied here, under which ISPs abet infringement merely because internet is necessary to the wrong. Under the court's logic, Cox cannot be viable for failing to take simple measures i.e. terminate subscribers, to stop infringement. Like Twitter, Cox says, they wouldn't be liable even if they knowingly took part in the activity. Quote, Because contributory liability is grounded in aiding and abetting principles, it follows only from an affirmative act taken with the intent of facilitating the offense's commission. Though Twitter arises in a different context, its reasoning applies with full force, 
and supports reversal of the contributory infringement verdict. And ultimately, they are the same thing, imposing liability on a third-party service that has substantial lawful use. Of course, the RIAA doesn't want that argument to fly, and as part of their rebuttal, they say directly that music pirates aren't terrorists. Quote, Twitter arose under the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. Plaintiffs there identified no duty under that terrorism statute requiring defendants to terminate customers after discovering that the customers were using the service for illicit ends. This case arises under the Copyright Act. This court has already held that an Internet service provider has a duty to do something about known infringers. So, they're accusing them of contributory liability, but the limitations of contributory liability don't apply, just because it's different. And also, Cox wasn't a passive service provider, quote, Cox was not so passive. It set up sham policies, ensuring infringement would continue. Cox knew of specific instances of infringement occurring on its network, tied them to specific users, and chose not to terminate those users to avoid losing revenue from paying subscribers. And by new of specific instances, they mean the content companies made wild assertions. But I really don't see how the courts could deny it. This has always been a giant hole drilled through Section 230. It's long past time it was plugged. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. see there are still some voices of sanity in the AI debate, including Matthew Lane of TechDirt. With NVIDIA releasing several AI products and Adobe incorporating AI into Photoshop and other software, the issue of the IP of training data keeps rearing its ugly head. Both companies have announced they'll license training data in order to pay creators whose work was used in the machine learning, but it's unclear how that would actually work. This comes on the heels of and likely as a response to Getty Image suing Stability AI, the makers of Stable Diffusion, claiming they've copied more than 12 million images from their database. Yeah, extract them from the checkpoint file and we'll talk. Sorry, but as we've covered, AI does not copy works. It does exactly what human beings do. Look at a lot of works, and that affects, consciously or not, the artwork they produce. It's infuriating because you have people like Adobe's Eli Greenfield saying, quote, It won't generate an image that is aping that person's style. 
You as an artist can merchandise this. If someone wants to use your style, you can actually sell a customer the right to use your style. But you can't copyright a style! I mean, what if Picasso went around to all the other cubists saying, Hey, you can't do that! You're copying my style! Or for that matter, if Georges Brock said that very thing to Picasso. Or if Cezanne had said the same thing to them both. Lane's article is a good read. He does a good job summarizing AI training and the lie to children model and shows that it's not all that different from how humans learn art. He also explains why the licensing model just doesn't work. Ordinarily, if you use an artist's song, you pay them a royalty based on how much of the song you used. But how does that work with AI? If I tell it to make a cloud, how is there any telling whose pictures of clouds it used to make it? Even that's misstating it. It's not like it is using anyone's photos. At some point in the past, it used other images to learn what clouds look like. But it does not store and reference those images. It just imitates them the way it's already learned how to do. Forgiving that this kind of training is absolutely clearly fair use, or even that it doesn't even get to the concept because it doesn't copy images to begin with, they're just used to teach the computer what clouds look like. They're never reproduced, displayed, or even referenced at the time of use. Anyway, forgiving all that, if I own one of the images in Stable Diffusion's 2.3 billion image training set, what should I get? One 2.3 billionth of the license fee every time it's used? And what about the fact that the Copyright Office has said quite clearly and under no uncertain terms that the output of computer algorithms can't be copyrighted. Royalties are based on licensing, which is based on copyright. No copyright, no license or royalty needed. What stake does an artist or photographer or singer or whatever actually have in the training of AI anyway? If I make music that sounds like Grimes, she has no claim to anything. So how is that different if an AI makes music that sounds like her? And although AI certainly can be used to infringe on copyright, case law going all the way back to the Betamax case states quite conclusively that making and selling the device itself wasn't contributory infringement even if it was used for infringing purposes. And then you have really silly things that result from that, like a small amount of the sale of every video camera going to the MPA because someone might use it to shoot a copy of a movie by pointing it at the screen. Meanwhile, not just Adobe and NVIDIA, but all sorts of people are figuring out how to make AI work in Blender and other artist tools. It seems like this genie is already out of the bottle. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. 
And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to meta-encapsulate this week's Biggest Bogani Emitter. Still on the subject of AI and music copyright, this week Ice Cube has issued threats against anyone who makes AI-generated music using his voice. Even though Ramp has a history of direct sampling more than any other style of music, Ice Cube, aka O'Shea Jackson Sr., threatened anyone who dared manipulate his voice to make a new song. On the Full Sin podcast, he said, quote, I think AI is demonic. I think AI is going to get a backlash from real people. I don't want to hear an AI Drake song. He should sue whoever made it. By the way, I didn't mean to gloss over that. Yes, he said it was demonic. Maybe he just doesn't understand how them computer thingamajimmies work. The comments came after an AI song generated in the style of Drake in The Weeknd went viral. He threatened to sue both the people and the platform where AI-generated music in his style was published. He wasn't the only one. UMG has also threatened online platforms like Spotify and Apple to remove AI-generated songs from their platforms. They've been issuing false DMCA claims. False because A. They didn't write the songs. And B. Once again, computer-generated content cannot be copyrighted. Despite that, Spotify has removed tens of thousands of AI-generated songs, particularly those made by the AI startup Boomi. The company said, quote, Artificial streaming is a long-standing industry-wide issue that Spotify is working to stamp out across our service. We are always encouraged when we see our partners exercise vigilance around the monitoring or activity on their platforms. With all that, and with a major player in the industry actually using the word demonic, we don't think it's at all hyperbolic to say that the industry is in complete hysterics. So all of that makes Ice Cube this week's Biggest Bogani Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's echolocate this week's Idiot Extraordinary. 
Chrissy Mayer is a stand-up comedian who's just barely popular enough to make Wikipedia, but for some reason Newsmax thought that was enough to have her on and, for some reason, talk about Chick-fil-A. So apparently, Newsmax is criticizing Chick-fil-A for going woke because they're a conservative Christian company that appointed an executive for diversity and inclusion several years ago. It starts with a very surreal moment with Chairman Dan Cathy shining the shoes of a black man in a church saying, quote, If we need to find somebody that needs to have his shoes shined, we need to just go right on over and shine their shoes. And whether they got tennis shoes on or not, maybe they got sandals on, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't get it either. But Mayer ended up making the segment even dumber, quote, That was humiliating. Again, I don't know why he didn't shine the shoes of every person in that room, but they sell fried chicken. I don't know how much more inclusive we can get here. Fried chicken? What, they're being inclusive to us Southerners? I can get behind that. Of course, they don't actually serve fried chicken. They serve chicken that's fried, but that's not the same thing. If you can't gnaw on a drumstick till the bone is clean, or peel the skin right off a thigh and eat it first, then you ain't eating fried chicken. You gotta go to Bojangles or Popeyes for proper fried chicken. And KFC, but, well, they've been sucking in recent years. Did they change the original recipe? Also, I miss Roy Rogers. But is this some kind of manufactureversy around Chick-fil-A? Are they just trying to distract from the whole Bud Light thing or what? I don't understand any of this. In fact, I don't know what it says that Dave Rubin is the voice of sanity, but he pointed out, very simply, how there's just nothing going to come of this by saying, quote, People freaking love this chicken sandwich. There's no way around it. In fairness, it is good chicken. But what was she doing? Was she lampooning Chick-fil-A going woke? Was she lampooning people protesting them for going woke? And seriously, someone explain this to me. What is the connection between fried chicken and black people specifically? I mean, maybe it's just because I'm from the South and I've loved fried chicken my whole life, but I just don't get any of this. As ridiculous as the whole thing was, Mayer's joke being that lame that ridiculous, and being the standout among all of that just has to make Chrissy Mayer this week's Idiot Well, that wraps up this We've Seen Shit But Never Like This edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from H.L. Mencken. To prevent the wildest anarchy in thought and act, the government must put limits upon the free play of opinion. In part, it can reach that end by mere propaganda, by the bald force of its authority, that is, by making certain doctrines officially infamous, but in part, it must resort to force, i.e. to law. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.
curiosity.